Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Handmade, the making podcast with real talk about materials. As always, I'm your host, material scientist Anna Pajajski, and this episode I talk to software developer, maker, fabricator, creative technologist and roboticist Robert Nixdorf about actually none of those things. Instead, I talk to Robert about rope over the internet during the second UK coronavirus lockdown. I started by asking Robert how he first became interested in rope. Well, originally I'm from Hamburg and Hamburg has one of the, it being in northern Germany, any of the coasts being about an hour from Hamburg, and Hamburg having this very big sailing lake in the middle of the city. Um, my dad kind of took me to sailing on the, the lake in the middle of the city. So it started out with an interest in sailing, which in Hamburg is fairly easy to do. And with Sailing comes um, ropes and knots and all sorts of how you have flexible links between bits. And then after like, after a few years, I had an accident and broke my arm. So I had it in a cast for six or eight weeks and it took quite a while. And I got into fancy work, it's called. It's tying fancy knots and basically making key rings and all sorts of things you can make out of rope. And that sort of stuck for a while. So there was two or three months where my parents smartly bought me lots of rope and made me tie lots of knots to just keep dexterity. That's really where it started off. And then a few years later, I was exclusively doing software and got fed up with it a little bit. But it was in the middle of Hamburg, and every time I went to work, I had to go past um, what's called Hamburg Rope Factory. It's a small shop, and they basically do um, finishing of rope products. But it serves the maritime industry right on the Elbe River, roughly a kilometer from that shop, around the corner from the office. So 
I frequently would go in and just see what kind of offcuts they have. So you end up with these massive, big, giant, 10 centimeter diameter ropes and have like a meter of them. And I made all sorts of things out of them, like scratching posts for cats or um, sticking lamps in them, basically. Cool. And then I thought, hmm, I really like knots and ropes. Should I start some social media something? And I started mainly a Twitter account, which was or is not of the day. Or where for about, I only made it to two months, tied one knot every day. Nice. And that, that was good fun, but it turned out after about two months, the time it took for doing each individual one just got longer and longer because there's only so many variations of the simple ones. Mm. And then I went to a different job and got busy and lost track of that, really. <laughs> but your passion for knots remains. <laughs> yes, I still... I still, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to lift up. This is, a, this is one crate full of different rope. Oh wow, a whole box. Yeah, this is just one. Um, there's about three times as much spread over two countries. <laughs> um, and very often it's quite useful just to, to have the exact kind of rope, and they're all a bit different. Yeah, so I really want to ask you, because this is a materials podcast, I'm yes. really interested in the different materials that rope can be made of and what your experiences are, um, you know, working with those different materials and how they each behave when you're trying to um, tie knots with them. Yes. So ropes generally are basically textiles and made out of fibers and historically that would be all sorts of uh natural fibers what my really favorite kind of rope is is something called ultra high molecular weight polyethylene okay i'm not a chemist but <laughs> it's basically polyethylene but as i understand it if i remember correctly um, all the molecules are molecules are aligned and into very long strands, mm -hmm. and there's there's different names for it. Which is uh, one brand name is Dyneema, for example. Okay, and or Vectran, I think, mm -hmm. which make these amazing ropes in in my experience that have very thin fibers. And usually they're um, woven ropes, but they're very thin fibers. They, they fray a lot. But what they have is they have uh, no stretch at all and high tensile strength. Mm. So they're, they're a very technical rope for replacing, for example, steel wires at, I think, like a seventh of the weight. Oh, wow. Mm. Although that, that comes with some difficulty because they have so so low stretch mm. that um, if you just right away replace steel wires with uh, Dyneema wires, uh, they rip off all the fixings because there's no springiness in them. 
Interesting. And they're quite fascinating to me, and I just enjoy them because you can get them from like half a millimeter diameter up to literally arm thick yeah. ropes for container ships. And they have been replacing a lot in replacing a lot of steel cables in application where weight is of concern. For example, in the forestry industry or for winching winching up sailplanes. Okay. Um but also they're quite difficult to a degree for tying knots because they're so slippery, because they're very thin, have no or close to none. Um, surface structure, they just slip out of knots. So oh. if you tie standard traditional knots, like an overhand knot, which is your plain, simple one crossing knot or a figure of eight knot or even say the traditional bow tie or reef knot, just, uh -huh. just, your, just your, your eight knot connecting two ends together, you get into quite some trouble if you load it dynamically and keep pulling on it because it slips and it just slips out of each other. Right. So traditionally, rope materials would need to have more kind of friction on their surfaces to be able to knot and stay knotted. Uh, yeah. So most, most knots have, if, if I would explain it from just looking at many of them have some way where they keep increasing friction and force along the path of the rope in the knot. Mm. So you, you start somewhere with an unloaded end and then have a little bit of friction on the surface of the, of the rope. And that gets amplified by a bend around some corners. So you have to have less and less friction to hold your rope in some contraption. Mm-hmm. And so the, the more friction you have on the surface of some rope, the better to a degree for a knot. Um, but that can also be that, that friction on ropes can also be a problem. So if you have friction on the outside of a rope and you want to run it through some um, some ring or a roll or roller pulley, <laughs> then um, you just have lots of friction generating lots of heat. Ah, okay. And then in other applications where you imagine all the fibers, in a, if we just imagine a rope with all straight fibers mm -hmm. and you want to bend it and you keep bending it back and forth, you have friction between the fibers. Yes. So that heats up. It can heat up to the to the point where the fibers start melting or just uh, rubbing on each other so much that it it literally melts. Wow! But that's a very that's a very uh, weird edge case. <laughs> yeah, quite an unusual situation, but still interesting um, and something that I would never have thought of would be a factor I, in in rope. Um. I mean, the, the the case where it becomes most interesting is if you, if you um, have some sort of uh, pulley or some sort of connection where it rubs against an outer surface. 
um, which in some cases is even uh, used. Like if I'm, I'm not a climber, not an expert in rope climbing, and that's a bit of a mystery to me because all the knots have different names and they're suddenly very important. <laughs> right, yeah. Please, please, please do your own research. <laughs> but um, so in, in rope climbing, you often use contraptions that you hook up to your own body weight to secure someone else and right. save them so you can control your whole body weight your whole body weight and with some friction that you can manage with your hand yeah i've all that has always baffled me like so, the way that you can kind of amplify those forces i mean what's basically going on there is from most devices i've seen you have a giant ring that you strap into a belt on on your on your chest or on your waist and the rope goes in and kind of makes a figure eight and goes back out and you hold the other end in your in your hand mm -hmm. so you've got the rope goes into that loop yeah it's called it, i think it's an abseiling eight okay i mean that would make I, sense I'm, I'm translating this from german okay <laughs> uh, but that's what it's called in, in german so you've got the rope going in it goes around that giant loop mm. and has about let's say 10 centimeters of surface connection to that aluminium part so you've got quite a lot of surface that yeah. you control the pressure onto it onto that with your hand mm -hmm. and um seems to work yep <laughs> <laughs> good news to abseilers everywhere <laughs> yeah it seems to work <laughs> okay so you've got your um ultra what was it ultra high ultra molecular high weight polyethylene polyethylene yep um what other materials do you have experience with for, rope, for ropes so there's i mean there's there's the whole set of um all sorts of polymers that um are used for ropes like there's nylon there's polyethylene just normal polyethylene there's Basically, if you can can make fibers out of plastic, you can make ropes out of them, and all of them have different properties. So, nylon is quite uh, works quite well in higher temperatures, mm. but I think it doesn't doesn't work so well under UV light and starts being becoming brittle. Mm -hmm. Whereas polyethylene seems to hold up better yeah, under uv light and also quite often it's a cost factor so on ships you can have standard polyester ropes that you just use in a, in a daily on a daily basis for tying up some fender i think mm. then of course there's the whole set of natural fibers mm. still and those are still used for some applications in, in everyday life, which can be ornamental or just useful. Like hemp rope is still made. Um, there's another thing. Ropes out of hemp, out of cotton, out of almost any natural fiber that you can, can imagine. Um, and some are still made as if they were 
500 years ago. Yeah, amazing. So still, still materials that are really useful today. Well, s some of the materials, like most natural fibers, have been replaced in technical applications just because they're not much cheaper than... Mm. Um, uh, artificial fibers and um, plastic fibers just last way longer under yeah. all conditions when they get wet they don't catch they don't get moldy usually and just withstand sunlight better yeah yeah I remember um, when I was researching for my book actually um, I went to go and visit um, Eleanor Schofield, who's head of conservations and care at the Mary Rose Trust, you know, the big old yeah. ship <laughs> um, in Portsmouth. And um, she showed me a 500 year old big coil of rope that was like, a, like about as thick as my leg. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, it obviously smelled like the sea because it had been under the sea for 500 years. Yeah. But you could also still smell on it the the tar that was used yeah. to sort of waterproof or protect that rope. So I guess we have, you know, found ways of getting round, prolonging the life of these natural fibres a little bit. I mean, there's 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 lots of ways for, for almost any any rope. You have, you have this trouble of you have the fibres in there and you want to keep them to some degree aligned and not coming out. Mm. So you want them as long as possible, which is where plastics are a good good thing. Yeah. You can just make kilometer, you can make endlessly long yeah. fibers out you're of just plastic. Extruding plastic, right? So Yes. And then you pull it to get it thinner and thinner. Yeah. And then you start bunching them up and then you construct them into to to ropes. But to just keep those fibers aligned with with each other. Traditionally, um, many things have been used from uh, plant secretions to tar to wax, which mm. is, I mean, we many people still use that um, for for lots of sewing. And traditionally, in the sailing industry, you have a block of wax. You take a bit of thread, you rub it in your wax, and you have your your fibers collected together and lubricated. Mm. And then if you go even further, like these fancy Dyneema ropes, they usually also have a, a surface coating. Interesting. Of, uh, it's, it's just some, some polymer glue, basically. Yeah. So the small fibers don't start poking out. So if there's any, any break in one of the fibers, that the end just gets... Um, stuck to the surface and if you keep using them for just a little time and rubbing them against each other they just fray up and bunch mm. but there's interesting ways of getting around that so when you start combining different fiber types into bigger ropes but maybe we should start maybe we should talk about how you actually make ropes out of fibers yes definitely so for for forever basically humans have encountered natural fibers and discovered that they're of some use so there's um evidence of cord having been there's evidence of cord having been made 
40,000 years ago in a very old Neanderthal site. Wow. And I mean, it's difficult to find that evidence because, because most textiles are made out of natural fibers and they just decay. Yeah. So this technique of getting natural fibers and just twisting them like you would on a spinning wheel has been around for a very, very long time. And the easiest way is probably spinning fibers into just a spun thread. If you now take that thread or a bunch of those threads and twist them again, then you have a very simple bunch of threads. And then if you take that bunch and twist it again into a bigger rope, you start having something that can be quite of a big size or a rope. And mm. you can keep, you can basically keep going doing that. So you can take a rope, which is normally what's called laid. So this is twisted. And you take that and keep keep going, then you end up with bigger and bigger ropes. And that's basically how those big, thick, what you saw on the Mary Rose, mm. very big old rope is made out of. One interesting problem arises, though, if you've ever tried to make cord and you load it, it starts untwisting. Right. Because you've only twisted together two or three strands. Uh-huh. The interesting thing is people found out around a thousand years ago that when you twist fibers in one direction and then twist them together, for example, three bunches of fibers twisted clockwise and mm -hmm. twist them together counterclockwise into a bigger bunch and then clockwise again and so on, on alternating the direction of twist, you end up with a strong rope that um, has no twist in it. Okay, so your abseiler so isn't going to be spinning around in the air. <laughs> correct. And there's there's actually um, some drawings of Leonardo da Vinci mm. who made some sketches of something that is a rope-making machine. Oh, cool. So rope-making machines are traditionally so what you start with is you have your fibers and then you need to spin them all twist them all at to the same amount and then twist those threads the other way around into mm -hmm. a larger rope so what people did and have done is they made long strands of of basically spun fibers, natural fibers, and put them up on long rope walks where the British Empire made up a standard some time in the past for, <laughs> I think it amounts to 100 yards. Okay. So you find, you still find in, in cities, traditional streets that are just very long and straight. So, for example, so in Hamburg, that's um, the Reeperbahn, which is now a prosperous red light entertainment district where you just go to have a nice night out with lots of venues. But it's very straight. And what happened there was 
uh, rope makers would hang their fibers on one end, roll them out all the way along the street, and attach them to a rope making machine, which is essentially a big plate with a crank at the back with a gear and small hooks on gears holding um, threads. Mm -hmm. And then you would crank the back and the hooks would start spinning um, all three or four, sometimes uh -huh. hooks would spin. And you would just keep spinning until your, your threads are spun up into nice yarns. And then at the other end, you would have a big plate where the hooks were fixed that you could turn entirely. So you would turn the whole plate around mm -hmm. and you would have a small contraption in the middle with three holes in that someone would hold. So one person stands at the end, twists these three bunches, three yarns. Yeah. Um, and a person goes with this stopper along the rope walk. Ah, interesting. So they stay equally spun or equally twisted. And of course, a lot while you twist it up, it gets shorter and shorter. Yes. Because you just consume length into yeah. thickness. And that's very much the way laid ropes have have been made for apparently a thousand or apparently for 500 years at least yeah and are still made to this day that's amazing so if, you, if you see i know there's a company in in hamburg who make these fancy ornamental ropes that you see for playgrounds uh-huh or for um cordoning off in mm -hmm. theaters sometimes oh yeah and that's exactly still made that way that's so cool. And actually, when you talked about the rope walk, rope walk is a really common kind of road name. Yes, like correct. A, like, yeah, I didn't really, I hadn't thought that that would actually directly come from these kind of like big places where rope was actually made. That's really cool. You know, it is, it is exactly that. So the name rope walk points back to a place where rope was made and it's usually quite close to a harbor or an ah, industrial estate. Interesting. I wonder where my nearest rope walk is. Probably somewhere in the Docklands or something in London. That's good. That's a good question. I know that there's a, a rope walk near in, in Nottingham. Oh, nice. Yeah, it passes over Park Tunnel. Uh, yeah, but there's still some some remaining rope walks. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And then, so the trouble with the trouble with rope walks is you can only make fixed length ropes because it depends on the length of your rope walk. And if you want to make them longer and longer, you right. need more and more space. <laughs> yeah. And then you have the weight pulling it down and it gets very complicated at uh-huh. some point. And that wasn't really a problem while you were doing um, natural fibers because they only grow like roughly like meter long, if even. Right. Like yeah. One length of a hemp plant is like one meter and 50. So you yeah, can get yeah. fibers roughly that long. But with the uprising of um, plastic fibers, you could make these extensively long fibers that you could roll up onto uh, rolls. So then people started developing a rope braiding machines, mm. which is basically you have something like 16 spools, long, high spools of thread that go on this machine, which is in a way it almost looks like a giant magic roundabout if you look at it from the top. Yeah. So you have these small roundabouts and then you have a giant circle and those um, spools do a, do a dance around each other back and forth in and out, just weaving, uh, weaving themselves a rope. So that way you can make braided, almost endlessly long ropes. Wow. It just becomes a question of, of weight and how much you can get on your, your spindle. Yeah, that's so interesting. And actually, when we were talking about the twisted ropes before, it reminded me of um, when I've been researching wool as a material um, for one of the the chapters in my book. Reading about the kind of molecular structure of wool is exactly what you're describing as the structure of rope. So you have your keratin molecule and those are in a right-handed kind of... um, anti-clockwise sort of um spiral or anti-clockwise twist and then they twist around the other way like you were describing with the rope so they would twist around each other clockwise and then there's these various like levels of um number of bunches of fibers that twisted and then bunches and bunches of fibers um that builds up the the wool fiber um so yeah it's just to say that like biology has been doing this really clever sort of hierarchical twisting of molecules and fibers um for much longer than we have <laughs> been been developing that process interesting so you're saying it, it's it's important if you spin your wool uh, clockwise or anti-clockwise um yes i mean yeah the wool the wool works exactly the same as what you were describing with the ropes um but at the tiny molecular level it's also constructed okay. in that way yeah interesting um one last thing about laying ropes. Um, so you can you can obviously end up with a rope that is either clockwise or anti-clockwise, which is in some ISO standard referred to as either Z spun or Z laid or 
uh, S laid. Uh huh. Because in the S, it goes from the top left to the bottom right. Yeah. And in Z, it goes from top right to bottom left. Right. Yeah. And most people and most machines do the, the S laid, but you can end up with both. It's just, it just becomes important for some applications that you use either the same one or you exactly use opposites. Yes. Okay. And that really becomes important when you start trying to connect ropes with each other. Mm-hmm. So one way of ending off or connecting two ropes is called splicing, which is effectively if you take the end of a rope and un- open up those three, for, for laid rope, you open up the three uh, yarns that it's con- the rope is constructed of and then you do the same thing for the end of another rope. And then you have these three yarns poking out and you connect them together just one by one. And then what you do is you go, you kind of weave backwards. Mm-hmm. So because if the two ropes are constructed the same way, both in S configuration, the, the twist is continuous. Yes. And you start weaving. You take your yarn from the right-hand rope and put it under the first yarn on the left-hand rope. And then you you turn it round one-third. And then you do that for the next yarn mm-hmm. and for the next sort of in, a, in an opposite spiral to the, to the way it's laid. Ah. And then you do that for the other side. And then you have a very strong joint. Because you've taken the yarns apart and you've weaved them effectively into the other one. It's mm-hmm. like a little bit like, it's exactly like weaving just in, in a circular motion, motion around a rope. Is it the sort of kind of mechanical construction whereby like if you were to pull the rope, actually what you're doing is kind of making those fibres kind of squeeze more tightly into each other through that pulling motion? For for all splices, more or less, what you do is you increase surface area where fibers are touching and make different parts of the rope touch other parts and yes. increasing friction. So yes, when you when you pull it, it it all squeezes together mm-hmm. basically because you've increased the diameter by just putting more fibers where they shouldn't be. Yes. And if you pull, they 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 squeeze onto the the opposite fibers. I feel like the 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 place that I had heard the word splice was in the context of like sort of gene editing because you know you hear people like splicing in the genes from something else yeah. um which I guess is kind of the same thing right if you think of like a strand of DNA you're like sort of taking out and connecting all these different bits of a tiny tiny molecule except the origin of it is is in rope making which I hadn't quite understood I before mean, I mean, if you really wanted to make the the optimal splice, you would completely deconstruct down to each strand mm-hmm. of rope and then align strands. And while you're doing that, you start twisting them around each other yes. again. Yeah. Reconstructing the whole kind of construction of the rope. Mm-hmm. 
And if you want, with natural fibers, natural fibers, each one is only a finite amount of length. So you could do that if you wanted to. It's just very, very difficult. <laughs> yeah. The only the only place where I can think of that happens is something we haven't really covered at all is uh metal or steel rope right so if you want which is made exactly the same way if you want you have instead of having thin fibers that you have to turn into to yarns you just have steel wire mm. and you start twisting it around each other and then you twist those yarns into in the opposite direction around each other and you end up with steel cable so for endless loops of steel cable like in a ski lift like a gondola lift oh yeah um where the the rope keeps spinning around uh-huh endlessly you want it to be absolutely even yes so they actually do that they take apart like 50 meters of the kilometer long rope down to individual wires mm -hmm. and then put it back together carefully yeah. spacing out the joins sometimes they even weld them together just the tiny joins but spacing them out over a long distance so yes. the friction stays the same and that's that that's more or less an ideal splice because you can't it doesn't change the diameter um, and the properties stay over the length, stay exactly the same, except for those tiny welds. Amazing. But yeah, all those tiny welds together, because they're in different places, it doesn't affect the strength of the piece. Yeah. yeah. So we've already talked a bit about the kind of surface properties of the rope and how that can affect like the integrity of a knot. Um, but I don't know, I feel like knots, you've already mentioned knots as they're you know how you got into it which was through sailing i feel like yeah. knots and sailing are almost like kind of synonymous like they're so prevalent in um in sailing in the popular consciousness that's definitely where we think of knots being used the most so can you take us through the sort of basics of knots i suppose like the theory of kind of knot making there's a there's a very strong connection between sailing ropes and knots for sure because you have on any boat, you have quite heavy, strong, stiff parts like your mast or your boom, which is the bottom of a sail, that are holding onto your sail, which is your your source of, of propulsion, really. Mm. And it can get quite dangerous quite quickly if you're not in control of those surfaces and those forces. So knots and ropes on a sailing boat are almost a question of life and death. Mm. And part of it is being able to quickly make a connection between either a rope and some object or a rope and another rope. And just knowing that by heart. So I think in sailing, you only really need about five, maybe 10 knots ever in your life because those are the ones that you can reopen under load or after load. So if you load a knot and it has been used for quite a long time, 
um, there's many knots you can never ever open again because the fibers are just so integrally squished together mm. that if you really wanted to you could try and <laughs> chisel it open but there's no way you just cut it off but most sailing knots you can actually reopen and quite easily often just with with hand power if you know how mm. it's usually you have to bend the whole knot in one direction or push a certain bit and then it loosens up so the the key parts of a good knot is it's memorable it doesn't slip you can reopen it and is that it <laughs> i mean i guess maybe just it's it's easy to do you don't need many extra extra tools yes i guess you want it to be quite simple right because you don't want to be like manipulating all these different bits if you're in an emergency yes. situation and it needs yes. to be easily recognizable so that someone else can come along and think oh that person's done this i know how to reverse that if if you there's there's one interesting book i mean there's many interesting there's many many interesting books on knots and i have quite a few but there's one that i'm that is particularly interesting it's the ashley book of knots by clifford w ashley mm -hmm. which was uh published in i think 1944 so he went out and just looked at different tradespeople and industries collecting all the different types of knots mm. but just collecting them giving them a number this is the application this is what they're called mm -hmm. so so every knot in his book has a number and they're often referred to but that doesn't necessarily mean that one knot only has one number mm. because different industries or different trades might use the same knot give it a different name but it it's universally used yeah so a bit like in storytelling that when they say you know there's only seven true different stories there's only a small number of actually unique knots but they have their variations and different names and stuff depending on who's using them yes in that book which is very mixed because often there's knots that have a, a special purpose or an application, but also lots of basically artwork and mm. um, making things pretty. And in past days on uh, Windyama ships, it was a big tradition because you were on the trip for so long and the things you had were usually a blunt knife, a blunt tip knife so you wouldn't stab anyone, um, lots of rope, and lots of time because you're going on this passage <laughs> yeah. where there's not much to do most of the day. Apart from stab so, each other, but you can't stab each other because you've got a blunt I, knife. <laughs> there's something about drinking the compass there, but um, which was usually filled with alcohol. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, then riots uh, seem to be a thing. That's why a sailor's knife usually is blunt tipped. Interesting. Um so you have your 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 blunt your your knife. Usually you need a knife. You need something called either a marlin spike or a fid. So a marlin spike is just a pointy bit of metal mm -hmm. that you can poke into ropes or knots to undo them. Ah, okay, yeah. 
And a FID is the same thing, except it's hollow. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can stick it through a piece of rope, hammer it on the back. Here's one. Oh, yeah. Um, you can hammer it um, mm-hmm. on the back to get into a tightly laid rope. Uh-huh. And then you can stick another one through. Got you. And with those easily carryable, tool, carryable tools and time at your hand, sailors used to do lots of fancy, fancy knots and just decorate all of the ship gotcha. where it was appropriate. Yeah. So, first of all, it would be there would be a certain proud, a certain certain proudness around the way I. Um, I secured the ends of my rope okay. by basically uh, sewing them in mm. with thinner thread or finishing off a, an end or making a specific attachment, finishing that off pretty, not just technically adequate. Got you. There would be a certain pride in doing that and then having it equally well done all across the ship. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can, you can do it technically adequate, but then on top, having it also nice and fancy if you have lots of time. And that's often what happened on traditional old sailing ships. Mm. But then, because it was the thing you had at hand, there's also lots of things. Like a really nice project to do is just making coasters mm-hmm. or foot mats, or they would just fancy up knife handles your lanyard you would hang your tools on if you ever see old 50s sailing movies or books Mm. or documentations about maritime trade up to about the 50s before the containers became a thing you had lots of um, manual labor just moving sacks and hand-sized tools they would often have pretty knotted handles that's that's one big source of fancy work it's called Mm. and how does this interface with crafts like knitting and crochet and sort of repeated knots to make up a textile is that something did that grow up out of something entirely different or is there any overlap at all I, I don't know what mm. direction it went, but Ashley's Book of Knots, for example, is also full of these crossovers where suddenly you end up in the space of knitting mm. or uh, crochet. So there's there's definitely a connection there. I would personally draw the line where I have to repeat one motion more than about three times. Yep. But, but that's just me. But definitely knitting and repetitive tying knots is is just an expansion of it. Mm. And even today, some of these technologies have not gone away. So there's big weaving machines for carbon fibers to make uh, aircraft parts. So even the technology of managing fibers, laying fibers, is still very, very important for today because what we've got is either fiberglass or carbon fiber parts in aerospace in modern cars and it's still useful 
So there's these giant ring weaving machines for carbon fibers that make you weirdly shaped continuous fiber parts that then are afterwards impregnated with resin, mm. sticking the fibers together. Yeah, so interesting. It's it's kind of funny to think for such a kind of ancient craft that there are still, you know, hyper-technical applications. That we, and we're, But we're still looking to the traditional ways of doing things, but putting a modern twist on it. Fantastic. Well, if people have enjoyed hearing from you um, and hearing a bit about rope and rope mechanics, rope materials, properties, knots, um, where where do you suggest that they go to find out more? So there is still my Twitter account, which is not of the day that I do sometimes read on there and sometimes post things. It, I would recommend just having a look at the things that happen there. Um, if you want to get more into it there's lots of youtube channels who um tie knots or are by actual rope professionals there's Mm. one from a company in the netherlands called premium ropes they do lots of different splicing techniques and then there's an endless amount of of projects that you can do um my personal Twitter account is at Diodenschein, but my personal website is rnix.de. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so interesting to chat to you about ropes and knots. It's something I knew absolutely nothing about beforehand. So I feel like I've learned a lot today. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you very much. So that was the marvellous Robert Nixdorf on Rope. Thanks so much to him for coming on the podcast. As always, I'd be super grateful if you had the time to like and subscribe to the podcast um, and to review it on Apple Podcasts, uh, just, just in case you happen to have your thumb within easy reach of five stars, that is. That would be awesome. Thank you. Say hi to us on Twitter at Realtalk, that's R-I-A-L Talk, and on Instagram at HandmadePod. Thanks as always to Dave Shepherd for our awesome cover art and to Alex Lathbridge for the music mix. So that's all for this episode. Tune in next week for a conversation with conservator Jenny Mathiason on feathers. Until then, take very good care of yourselves and I look forward to speaking to you next time on Handmade. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.